welcome to Masters of Divinity. I'm your moderator, JP, and I am here with Father Chuck. Indeed. And I'm actually in my Father Chuck uniform. You are. You're in your, uh, you're in, you're in your, you're in your costume. Yes. Your, uh, your alter, your alter ego. Your, my, 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 my clerical attire. And it's fitting for what we're going to talk about because, um, I've learned something being yeah. a priest that I probably don't know if I've talked about before. Mm-hmm. And that is, so everyone makes fun of the Superman Clark Kent secret identity. And right. people are like, oh, did you just put on a pair of glasses and nobody recognizes him? How stupid is everyone? But the crazy thing is, is like, and I even, being a huge Superman fan myself, I used to, I've even made fun of that. And then I became a priest. And I have been out in public, not in my clerical attire, and I've walked right past parishioners who know me fairly well, and they don't recognize me because really? they're used to the costume. So it made me realize the Superman thing isn't really as implausible as people make it out to be. I think you're right. I think that's true. I, I've never been one to uh, begrudge it. I think people just, uh, you know, when they're not actually looking for something, they'll, they'll, they'll miss it. Yeah. Unless you're super intuitive like Batman. Right. Or Steve Jobs. Or Steve Jobs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who, who might be a superhero. I don't know, supervillain. Mm. Um, <laughs> we are talking about comic books this week, <clears throat> and uh, we've done a, a fair amount of homework for it. We've done decades and decades of homework. <laughs> that's that's very true. Uh, yeah, we have. Oh gosh, I, I mean, I, I read like maybe two books, but honestly, I'm I'm prepared to talk about anything. You just ask me anything about Batman. Anything about the X-Men, I'm, I'm on top of it. But I want to talk first, Chuck, about yes. being a comic book reader in the 90s. That hallowed time. <laughs> uh, considered a very dark age. Since you're so great at articulating things and, and, and teaching people, why don't you uh, tell our audience uh, the concept of the ages in comic books? All right. Well, we have Golden Age, Silver Age, Bronze Age. That's in the order. Golden Age is like the 30s and 40s. And that's like that's when Superman was invented. Superman's the very first superhero. That's when Superman is invented. And so then Batman and Wonder Woman and all those characters, um, you know, they're they're off uh, you know, punching Hitler and fighting Nazis and stuff <laughs> in addition to their domestic crime fighting time period. And right. then you've got the Silver Age, which starts in the 50s and in fact, specifically the Silver Age begins with the Barry Allen Flash. He is the beginning of the Silver Age of comic book characters uh, of comic book superheroes because um, even though Superman and Batman still kind of maintained a, a certain degree of readership, they superhero comics were, had gotten fairly unpopular. And then other comic companies decided to resurrect some of their old characters. And, um, and so the Barry Allen flash, because the original flash yeah. is Jay Garrick. Right. And, and Silver Age is when they started to kind of, you started to notice they were actually living in the same world, right? Like Batman and Superman teaming up and stuff. Right. And that's when, um, and this is where like my DC nerddom can come in because then that's <laughs> where we have Earth 1 and Earth 2 and, and all oh, this yeah. kind of stuff. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, so the, so the Silver Age kicks off. And that's when also things get a little more science fiction-y. Yeah. Um, you know, atomic age science fiction type stuff. And that's when Batman starts to get a little campy and goofy. Um, and there's a, there's, a, there's a silliness to it. And, and But, of course, during the Silver Age is when we have the birth of arguably the most culturally relevant crop of superheroes. And that would be Marvel Comics in its prime with right. the advent of like Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four and the Incredible Hulk and all of them. They are the products of the Silver Age. And then you have the Bronze Age, which is 70s and 80s. And that's when things start to get really 
more serious and dark. Yeah, that's that's kind of when they start targeting teenagers more. Yeah, and and, 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 and older like, audiences, right? And I think, and that's when, um, and and pretty much the hallmarks of that time period are things like um, the the Chris Claremont run of X Men comics. You've got Frank Miller in his work on Batman and other things. But the then height it, of Alan Moore. The height of Alan Moore. Watchmen is like a perfect distillation. I mean, because it deals with the Golden Age and the Silver right. Age. Right happening but kind of told through the filtered through the time of the bronze age and then we have the 90s which i don't do we do we do we call that the i mean what is the, what is that that's like the i've always known it as the dark age that's how that's what everyone's told me okay the dark age well and that's for our listeners who don't know that is characterized largely by an artist by the name of rob liefeld right where the characters the men are like impossibly ripped and huge <laughs> The women are like caricatures of what a woman ought to look like. Yeah, and the pouches. Um, Dear God, the pouches. And her useless (laughs) pouches sewn into everyone's overly busy costumes. And And long hair. They all had long hair or ponytails. It seemed that a lot of guys were missing eyes. I feel like a lot of eye patches or like one eye had like some kind of special powers. Um, Lots of random super chrome um, cybernetic things. Even even Superman was sporting the ponytail. Even Superman was sporting the ponytail. And then, um, of course, and it was was like, you know, the the tearing down of tradition, because that's also around the time that Superman stopped wearing the red and blue. He was wearing black and silver. And, of course, one of the characteristics of the Dark Ages is the death of Superman and uh, Batman breaking his back. And And other characters dying and going out. Turning evil. Right, that's what I was going to talk parallax with uh, with Hal Jordan. But I, I, I have here, so listeners, I have a um, I have a stack of comic books next to me for the things I want to talk about. But um, since JP mentioned it, it is one of my beloved um, possessions, and that is my first edition trade paperback of the Death of Superman. Nice. But yeah, so yeah, Death of Superman was a big thing during the '90s. But it was also when Image Comics got started as a label. That's true. Um, yeah. And Image, of course, is most famous for its character of Spawn. Right. Created by um, uh, Todd McFarlane. Yeah, Todd McFarlane created Spawn, who was an, who started as an artist on Spider-Man, right? And who also created Venom. Yeah, he was an art. Yeah, he was. Oh, I didn't really create Venom. Yeah, you're right. He did. I forgot about that. And Carnage. Yeah. Did he create Carnage too? I don't really know if he created Carnage or Carnage just kind of came out of the popularity of Venom, but yeah, I'm not <laughs> that's really sure. Carnage. Carnage is also probably the most quintessential '90s comic yeah. creation. I mean, Venom too, for the most part. Like, yeah, but Venom isn't Venom more of like an '80s creation? Uh, maybe you're right. Yeah, I do love black. I, lo- I do love Spider-Man's black costume, though. I just yeah. that's where, where Venom comes from. Cause, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I guess Venom comes out of Secret Wars, right? Um, which was an 80s thing, which was sort of Marvel's answer to the great. So um, I guess it was kind of the start the, of the Dark the, Age almost. Cri- the crisis on Infinite Earth. Yeah. Um, that DC was running. Yeah, it's. Um, but yeah, the 90s were a weird time. And, it's, and that's the time when you and I came up in comics because we weren't. Pretty much. We weren't reading Chris Claremont, X Men. We weren't reading yeah. those things, you know. We it's kind of weird for a kid to read this stuff because this, this is when they sort of specifically were targeting adults. That had kind of grown up reading and collecting comic books. Right. And it was also another characteristic of the Dark Ages. Uh, it was pretty dark for the comic book industry itself. It was starting to go out of business. Like, every, everybody was crashing. Well, and that's all because of this guy right here, the death of Superman. I mean, the, the comic famously uh, famously imploded the comic book industry because of its um, the black bag. Which I had. I had, I, I had one. 
I actually have – it's funny. They were so huge when they came out. They were, they were selling for so much money, and I, I think I have two of them now. <laughs> um, and they're worth like nothing now. They are. They're worth like nothing. I, I was actually at a comic book shop once um, in, in Alexandria, Virginia, talking to the, the, the purveyor who was a buddy of mine. He told me that this guy had come in earlier that day with a factory-sealed black bag, Death of Superman comic. Yeah. And he was like, how much are you going to give me for this? And he was like, yeah, that's like, I said, that's like 20 bucks, maybe. And he was like, oh, well, this thing's worth like $500. He's like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> and the guy was like, just like shocked that it wasn't worth anything yeah. anymore. Because at the time, it, you know, it was selling for a lot. But yeah, that whole, that's when they started doing like variant covers and, you know, special bag editions to try to encourage you to buy multiple copies. And they started really like selling things for collectors. And then the collectors like, were buying everything and no one was actually reading the books. They were just buying them and reselling them. And the collector market, it, you know, became a speculation bubble and it just burst. Yeah. Like you had, pe- you had guys on Wall Street just like spending tons of money on, on comic books because they heard like, you know, oh, you have the number one of some issues could be worth some money. That resulted in like a billion number one issues of like X-Men. So you right. had like a billion X-Men titles that were all number one. Yeah, they just started releasing. Yeah, they started releasing. Yeah, new number one, number one books. Yeah, like he had the foil covers, the hologram covers. Oh Oof. yeah, dude. <laughs> it was it was weird. A very consumer driven time for comic books. It was, and it's and it's funny. You know, we talk about this because I have to admit I didn't read too many actual comic books during this time. I mean, I had a few, but you know, I was pretty much only able to go you know as a kid i couldn't couldn't drive myself so you know comic books have famously had pretty poor distribution so like i was only being i was only able to buy comics that i could find at like the grocery store magazine rack yeah i mean that's actually where i read my very first comic book which was the issue where superman died and that was i was a bit traumatizing (laughs) dude oh i'm glad you brought that up because i kind of want to talk about that that book that book really seriously traumatized me too Really? Look, yeah. well, for, for me, like, and I've talked about this in other episodes, but like, as I remember as clear as day, I opened the book just randomly and I instantly turned to the page where Doomsday punches Supergirl in the face and uh, like yeah. it turns to mush because she's like a, you know, she's made, like, yeah, she's, yeah, she's like, matrix at that point. It's like a T-1000. Yeah. She's an alien, like a, like a morphing alien being called matrix. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was a little, <laughs> that was like, what? What just happened? Right. But for yeah. you, like that, that was that was traumatizing for you too. Yeah, I mean, because so there was like this weird little like newspaper thing that they that like we would get at my school like once a month. I don't know, I can't remember what it was, but it was like you know it wasn't like our local school thing. It was like something that was distributed out, and so it was used like an educational supplement to like read these stories and talk about them in class or whatever. And I just remember that one of the stories was about them killing Superman, yeah. and like people and because that was huge. Like when the news came out, they were killing Superman. Everyone was like, there were a lot of people like really, you know, shocked by this, that it was mm-hmm. really happening. Um, clearly, the popular culture as it is now doesn't understand how comic book storylines work, but it was understood that this was it. Superman was actually dying, and, they, and he was done. Um, and so that captivated, because I, I grew up loving Superman. You know, I, I, my mom will tell stories about how when I was a kid, I used to carry a Superman action figure with me everywhere I went, and... Um, the little superpowers line, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I had, um, and, and like I was at, there was a period of time where I had to have a red cape tech to like every article of clothing I owned. And like when nice. I learned to swim, I had a Superman cape on. I thought the cape gave me the power to swim and all this kind of silly child, <laughs> you know, childlike thing. But I, I loved Superman. Yeah. And I was like in second or third grade when this happened. 
and I and so I also knew it was valuable comic. And so my aunt Donna um, tracked down the black bag version and the trade paper, and that's what I was and that was given to me for Christmas that year. And I sat down, I read the whole, yeah, right. (laughs) I sat down and I read the whole thing and like, it's, it was very much kind of like maybe my first experience with death really in a way. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was pretty, it was, it was pretty traumatizing. I mean, not like in like a PTSD as a result of it or anything like that, but it was like, it was definitely a turning point in my development as a person. And like, I felt like, you know, some kind of need to. To cope with it, but it was it was heavy. It was a heavy thing for me as a kid. Well, let me ask something. What was more traumatizing, the death of Superman or when Macaulay Culkin dies in My Girl? <laughs> um, death of Superman. For me, it was Macaulay Culkin dying in My Girl because I actually remember getting really angry and like throwing things in my room. Wow. <laughs> well, the thing is, my friend Scott, who I live next door to, he told me that that happened in that movie, so oh, okay. it was spoiled. And so when I finally saw it, I was like, but I was like, oh, it's really sad. <laughs> That it happened. I don't know. What, I don't know why that. I don't. It just kind of occurred to me, but I don't know. It's one of those things. It. 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 It, affected it was around me. the same time. It was around yeah, the same time. Yeah. It affected me, but not as much as when McCoy <clears throat> dies in my girl. Um, <laughs> because it, it is. It is kind of weird, right? Because he was. He's, he was. Home Alone. Home Alone was was hugely popular amongst children. Right. And it's like, oh, Home Alone is in this new movie called My Girl, and he right. dies. And he, and he dies from bee stings. Yeah. Like God. tragically, it's like tragic <laughs> death. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was that was being a comic book reader in the '90s, and then you know you had other stuff happening. Uh, Death Superman sort of kicked it off for me. Um, you know, I got into I got really into what came after that, which is Reign of Superman, which is right. when uh, there were like a group of different incarnations of Superman, sort of kind of vying for his place. It just you just done you just reminded me of another horrible thing that the Death of Superman unleashed onto the world. What was that? Steel with Shaq. Oh gosh. Oh my gosh! I wanted to see that movie so bad. <laughs> yeah, because Steel is a character in the Reign of Superman because that's John, it's John, um, John Henry Irons. John Henry Irons, Hank, Hank Henshaw, the, the cyborg Superman. Yeah, Superboy. Right. It turned out Con to be a clone, Connell, and uh, or Connor the, Kent. Yeah. And um, the Eradicator. And the Eradicator. That's right. Can't forget they, about the Eradicator because he shows they, up again. Yeah, they called him the cold-blooded Superman. The cold. In the newspaper article that I read when I was a kid. And yet he, he wore those ninety shades, you know, those those like big shades. Oh yeah, he still does. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, he's he he still around. Yeah, he was actually just in the most recent Superman, the most recent Superman um, book, um, you know, a couple yeah. months ago. They they look like those like if you wore like big thick, you know, eyeglasses, <clears throat> you needed to wear sunglasses over them. Yeah, your grandparents usually did that. Yeah, they had those big shades that went over them. And I found a pair of those at the country store on the farm when I was reading all of this. And, like, they reminded me of the Eradicator. And so nice. I bought a pair, and I pretended to be the Eradicator. That run, The Reign of Superman, led to one of my favorite things that they ever did in comics. And, of course, for me, um, I am a huge Green Lantern fan. Yeah. And what they did with the character of Hal Jordan as an offshoot of that was, it's like, seismic. Yeah, what they did. I, I, honestly, one of the boldest things that they've, I think they've ever done in comics. Yeah. So before we get into into more in depth stuff, Chuck, and more questions, let's talk about the church and comic books. Okay. Kind of a rocky history. Yes. Which sort of started 
way back in the day. I, I didn't I didn't do enough research. I actually meant to read some of the book. But there was a book called Seduction of the Innocent by Dr. Frederick Wortham, who wrote a whole book on how comic books were ruining our children. Right. And it was responsible for the creation of the Comics Code Authority. Right. And it was, it was, it was in response to, at least the book was more in response to, like, EC Comics, right? Yeah, more in response to EC Comics, but definitely picked up, definitely picked up on some things that were some ways that things were depicted involving the relationship of Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson. <laughs> right. Which is so funny because you actually made me aware of this the other day, Chuck. I thought it, I, for this whole time growing up, like I knew the whole joke behind like uh, the relationship between Batman and Robin being like you know kind of like ambiguously gay, but like I thought it was just like just something innocent. And then everyone was just, like, joking about it. I didn't think people actually believed that there was something going on. Right. That's, no, they did. That, <laughs> I didn't a, know a whole that. book about it. Yeah. I thought it, was just a, I thought it was just a joke, like an inside joke. Yeah, it was, it was one of the things when I learned about that it, that was shocking because I sort of feel like I should have known this. Like, I should have yeah. known that this was <laughs> – people actually really thought that there was, like, that there was – you know, and because yeah, we, you know, we've done an episode on the satanic panic. Like this is the kind of stuff that we love to like, talk about. Right. Yeah. Christian panic. Christian panics. Um, if you look at the Wikipedia article on on all of this, they, 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 there's a photo, a panel shot from an old Batman comic that, where the way it's drawn, it looks like it looks like Bruce Wayne and, and Dick Grayson are sleeping in the same bed, <laughs> but it's actually twin beds. And in the golden age, people just were really bad at perspective, and that's all that is. So. That created the comics code. It was a. It was basically the ESRB rating system for video games. I mean, yeah. it was. And but what it was was um, in order to prevent the corruption, like the moral corruption of youth. Right. They would. Um, the comics code would not allow depiction like anything you any script anything you had to you you wrote whatever had to be approved through the comics code and if the comics code didn't approve it like there was a problem because like some people wouldn't sell the books if it didn't have the comics code badge on the front of the book and things like that so it was a type of it was a form of censorship right and it's and it, and it really came to a head in the 60s where comic creators were trying to tell lot you know grittier more grounded stories with these characters right. and where it really really came to a head was with a famous story by Neil Adams it was a backup story in his run of Green Lantern Green Arrow where the character of Speedy, which is basically Green Arrow's Robin, becomes addicted to speed. And they wanted to do that book as a way, you know, realizing that teenagers are reading this stuff and you know, kids are reading this stuff and use it as a way to talk about, you know, that even these beloved characters can fall into these temptations and, you know, that you need, we need to be aware of it and all that. Well, the Comics Code Authority, like, refused to allow, you know, to endorse this because it, they were more focused on the fact that drugs were present rather than the story that was being told. Right. And it really exposed the problem of the Comics Code Authority. It eventually led to its undoing. And it, and, and changed, I believe they ran, this, DC was like, no, this is too important a story. They decided to run it without the without the comics code. Wasn't there a moment where like all the companies kind of came together and were like we don't really need your your stupid code? Like yeah. they just kind of just ignored it. Like fine, don't give it to us. Like don't give us the seal. Yeah, I think I actually if I'm if I'm not mistaken, and Marvel was a real big leader in that. Yeah. Cuz I remember they wanted to do a story with um where Peter Parker was it was that the one where Peter Parker like he tries he saves a kid who's like high on acid or something? No, I don't know. 
there was something there was something like that that was also around the same time that was a big deal because it was the counterculture and all this stuff was going on in the sixties and right. in the late sixties and they wanted to they wanted to reflect on it um, and socially and do you know they wanted to do more than just you know than just tell you know showing people punching crime right and that's sort of the watermark of Marvel at the time you right know, they wanted they they were they were involved with like what was actually going on in society at the time because this is the sixties right um, so things like like X Men being huge about like segregation right well and that's and that's the other thing is um um it was uh, um denny o'neill and um sorry denny o- not neil adams was it, i don't remember it was denny o'neill and neil adams they're the ones who okay. were the their famous run of green arrow green lantern um around the same time as marvel was doing this stuff and they did a, they, around the same time they did the speedy issue they did a really famous issue where um hal jordan was outed as a racist yeah, that's what I was, I was just saying. You know, there's they, they made him like like savagely racist, and they yeah. went on like a road trip, right? Yeah, it was during this whole period of time where they're doing this road trip. He and Green Arrow trying to kind of they're going to see America, which is so yeah. great because like no one was reading these. That's what I love. Like the same kind of thing Alan Moore was doing with Swamp Thing. It's like nobody was reading these characters, so these because they were like in the background, no one really cared. They're like, well, let's just be weird with it. Let's just do like whatever the heck we want. Right. And so they did this story. Yeah, and it's just a great panel where Hal Jordan is confronted by. I mean, it's somewhat caricature looking african-american man yeah but um who says you know you know to he's calls him mr green lantern and he says right. you know you you know you care about the you care about you know you're out there in the galaxy you know you know saving the purple skins and the green skins he says but you don't seem to you know get you know you don't seem to really care about the brown skins or the black skins right right yeah, i remember that and um you know that was that was huge too to show it was there was prejudices. I mean, because that was the whole thing is Green Arrow is a socialist mm-hmm. and Green Lantern, you know, being a cop, a space cop, he's the right winger. And so they had these two guys playing off each other and dealing with their issues. I right. mean, it was really brilliant writing for its time. So this would eventually lead to uh, Christianity or the church getting more involved with creating their own comics, right? Yeah. I mean, there was, yeah, there was some of that. I mean, yes and no. Yeah. I think that because what, what seems to be the larger the larger thing that happens in the church is it's just like, especially like very conservative, like more like you know Southern Baptist type, Southern fundamentalist Baptist types, mm-hmm. is that somehow the, the the medium itself is inherently evil, right? And so it's more like you shouldn't you shouldn't even be involved with it at all. Oh, drawing is a frivolous pursuit. You need to be focusing on you know things more th- things of more substance and value. Right. You know, not drawing. And so there's, I mean, because I grew up with some of this. I grew up with, I mean, he wasn't my youth pastor. It was a youth pastor before my youth pastor. But, you know, I, I was acquainted with people who were teenagers when I was in elementary school who were um, in this guy's youth group. And, like, you know, he told people that, you know, they needed to come burn their comics. Yeah. And they would have these bonfires of burning CDs, records, and comics. And I know of a kid who um, he threw an entire Chris Claremont run of X-Men onto oh, a – Yeah, I know, dude. Onto the bonfire. Um, and simply because X-Men promotes evolution. <laughs> right. Which X-Men totally gets evolution wrong. I just went with that. Right. Yeah, yeah totally. Totally wrong. <laughs> and so it's, it's gone on. It's gone on. But, yeah, there's always been – but there's also, you know, I think more in the 80s and, and 90s we saw this subset of folks who really wanted to – the church wanted to get into – I shouldn't say it was even in the seventies, really wanting to get into comic book making, thinking that that's like, well, that's how we're going to reach the kids. Right. And that's where we get the infamous picture Bible. Right. Which is actually pretty, pretty good artwork. Yeah. 
uh, written. Uh, who did I say it was drawn by crap? I didn't save anything from a conversation. I can't believe it. I'm so unprepared. It was um, Andre LeBlanc. Andre LeBlanc, right. He was an assistant to Will Eisner uh, for our, um, you know, our, 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 our layman who are listening. Will Eisner is probably the most influential person in the comic book industry, right? Like, I would say he's. I don't, I don't want to say he's the Walt Disney of comic books. That's more like Stan Lee, but he was, he's, he's the guy. Like he created this, he created the spirit. Yeah. He created the, 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 the yeah, the, the comic book, the spirit. Um, he, yeah, he's, I mean, he's, he's hugely influential. His artwork is influential. Um, and, and but he has, has Disney's font for his signature. Yeah, he does have Disney's font for his signature. <laughs> I mean, he was also huge for bringing the pulp noir qualities to comics, right. which yes. of course is huge for Batman. Yeah, and uh, he he wrote a great graphic novel, of, or he calls it sequential art, uh, about growing up Jewish in New York. But yeah, this guy, uh, Andre LeBlanc, he was uh, Will Eisner's assistant while he was uh, doing The Spirit. And uh, he went on to uh, illustrate the, the picture Bible, which is why it's so it's really, really great art. Yeah, I, I had the picture Bible. Actually, I was, um, I was, I was so, like, taken in by the commercial that would run very frequently on Nickelodeon when I was yeah. a child um, with the one, with the one 800 number. And it was like, it was comics and it's right. the Bible. So let's get it. Um, yeah. And I had it for the longest time. So let's, let's go back to being a kid, you know, reading these comic books in the dark ages of comics. You were about to talk about green lantern. Yeah. Or you had mentioned green lantern. Did yes. you read, did you read green lantern when you were a kid? I did not. No. Okay. I mean, I was I, I had the superpowers action figure. I was really fascinated by his costume. I think a really cool costume. But I never read I never read the book until I was in seminary. Okay. When I came well, back to comics, I I read it. I read Summer Green Lantern uh, when I was a kid, and the very first Green Lantern book I ever read was Emerald Twilight. Oh, nice! That's when he goes insane and kills everyone. Yes, <laughs> that was, and it's so great because, you know, I'm kind of following the death of Superman and the reign of Superman. And part of when Superman came back to life, he was helped by Hal Jordan. And that's sort of like my, my like official introduction into Green Lantern. Green Lantern was helping Superman after he came back to life to defeat evil cyborg Superman. And so that ends where that picks up or where it picks up is, you know, he's, he's back in, in coastal city, which has been nuked. Right. His, his city was nuked. Yes. And uh, he goes insane, and he kills all the Green Lanterns. <laughs> all the Green Lanterns, all the Guardians, and destroys the central power. Goes inside the central power battery in the planet of Oa, absorbs all of the, that energy, and comes out as a villain named Parallax. Yes. And, and for was- years becomes like the like A-list villain of the DC universe. Right, yeah. It was crazy uh, because... Um, one of like the great things that happened before you know before he becomes parallax is the owens uh the guardians or whatever they they release sinestro to fight him who's right. like sort of green lantern's signature villain right his joker he, yeah yeah and they get into like this huge battle and it just ends with how jordan like snapping his neck yep yep <laughs> like just with his bare hands he kills him and then he becomes parallax and becomes like the like, the coolest villain in dc at the time yeah, I know a number of comic book fans who feel like DC should have let that stand. Yeah. Um, or at least, you know, when later he was killed off, left him dead. But then we would have been robbed of, of Green Lantern Rebirth. But we'll talk about that later because I know we, there's some other things we want to talk about. Yeah. Um, so when you were a kid, were there, did you have any, like, 
I know you said Superman was was a favorite. Did you have, did you read any other titles or have any kind of runs that you're into when you were a kid? I mean, again, like you know, I, I read really intermittently. I wasn't like I didn't have like a pull list or anything as a kid. You know, it was uh-huh. just like occasionally I would go to the grocery store and I'd find something that interested me. Um, the one comic that I read over and over and over again, um, it was another one that sort of had a slight traumatic experience to me, and that was um, um, the Clone Saga. In Spider-Man, <laughs> is it because it's really bad? I know fans really hate the clone. I've never read it personally, but I know fans really hate Spider-Man's Clone Saga. For the listeners who don't know the Clone Saga, the Clone Saga was um, this character known as the Jackal in the Spider-Man comics showed up in this random issue with uh, and, and sort of revealed to Peter Parker, who at this point had been the only Peter Parker anyone had known in all of Spider-Man comics, had revealed to him that he was a clone and that the real Peter Parker was like somewhere else or whatever. And so the supposedly the real Peter Parker shows up and he is a character called the Scarlet Spider. He was a very ridiculously 90s designed character. Like I like this costume because he had this like just solid red costume, but he had like a shredded hoodie that he wore over the top of it and then he had <laughs> yeah. and then he had um pouches on his ankles, which made no sense. Pouches, of course, pouches, 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 pouches on the ankles. in the 90s. Um <clears throat> and on his wrist, pouches on his wrist and his ankles. <laughs> but, he wore his wrist casters on the outside. Right. He was a rebel. But, like, I, um, but, like, it, it, it affected me because, like, you know, I didn't know at the time that, like, it eventually got, it was so hated in its time that they quickly tried to fix it where that wasn't the case. And it was just all a lie and it was really poorly executed in the long run. But, like, at the time when I first read it, it was, like, weighing the consequences of, like, because, you know, Spider, at this point, Peter Parker is married to Mary Jane and they're trying to have right. a child, or she's pregnant with a child, I think. And, there's all of these questions and concerns about, you know, is this clone child going to be a problem? Is, you know, and it's like this whole lie, this whole life of his is a lie of implanted memories and all these things. Like, that's some pretty right. heavy stuff as a kid to think about. Um, and like I said, I thought it was pretty, I thought it was a pretty bold thing that I kind of, part of me wishes they would have just doubled down on it and stuck with it. But yeah, it became needlessly soap opera esque. And that's why I think so many people hate it because it, it's also ultimately pointless. Right. It's an ultimately right. pointless storyline. And it also feels very much like someone trying to cash in on what happened with Death of Superman and um, um, Nightfall, which is a storyline where Batman was broken by Bane. Right. Um, and this is also the time, like, when this, this is uh, a story that kind of has a significant impact on me was um, the death of Charles Xavier from X-Men, Professor X. Oh, right. Yeah, he died. Is it, was that the Onslaught storyline? No, this is before Onslaught. This is when, and uh, actually there's a TV show coming out called Legion that's sort of, was sort of inspired by this. Um, Charles Xavier's son, um, his name is Legion, and I guess he has like a billion personalities in his head, so he's like, you know, he refers to himself as, you know, we are Legion. Right. He like goes back in time to kill Magneto, but... Uh, accidentally kills Xavier instead, and that starts the uh, the Age of Apocalypse in the X Men universe, uh. which like I, the whole timeline's all screwed up. So <laughs> it's really funny. Like you, you're talking about traumatic moment reading Spider Man. I'm talking about traumatic moment reading Green Lantern. We're both traumatized by Death Superman. This is why it was the Dark Ages of comics, <laughs> right? <laughs> like it this wasn't is, fun. This is what it was. This was the, what the climate was. It wasn't fun. <laughs> <laughs> I know. In, in, in fact, I think like if you wanted lightheartedness in your superheroes, you just watched the cartoons and the movies that were coming out at the time. Right. <laughs> they captured it better than the comic books were. Right. 
Yeah. So. Oh, totally. Batman the Animated Series still to my in my in my viewing the the the, the definitive the definitive oh. version of Batman. Yeah. I agree. The Batman Animated Series, and he also had the X Men cartoon. X Men cartoon, so good. So the good. Car- yeah, the the Spider Man cartoon, also so good. Um, and then you know there are some other Marvel cartoons that weren't that popular, but still got some. You had like your Fantastic Four's, your Incredible Hulk, stuff like that. Right. Um, another one of my favorite when I was a kid is Fantastic Four. I, I love Doctor Doom. We've made that. We, we've, we've talked about that tons of times. Yeah, JP JP um, is a, is a very big Doctor Doom fan. When I first yeah. met him, he had a very sizable Doctor Doom coffee mug I in his dorm. Nice. I like it. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever drank anything out of it, but you have it. I, you know, I, when I first bought it, I, I tried it and it was just kind of cumbersome. You know, I realized it's not for drinking. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's totally, uh, it's, it's ornamental. So Chuck, what got you back into comic books? Cause I remember you, you got in fa- fairly late. Uh, I think maybe like when you were in seminary, right? Yeah. That's really when I got into comics. And what was sort of your gateway? Yeah, well, I mean, I, was, I had a passing interest in it, but I just, again, you know, just it wasn't my thing. But um, honestly, what got me into comics was Watchmen. Um, the the movie was coming out, and I had long been fascinated by the comic. And so one of my friends at seminary had it, and he lent it to me. And so I read it, and I was like, okay, this is awesome. Now I want more. So I went down to the comic book store, and I bought um, Kingdom Come and... Great one. And something I think, and then I think it might have been when I also got Superman Red Sun, but I know I for sure got Kingdom Come, um, and um, I know we're, we're going to talk about that probably a little bit too. But I, um, but Watchmen got me into it, and then also my fellow seminarians were so many of them were comic book nerds, and we would sit around in between our, I mean, basically like the idea, like the idea of what we're doing with this podcast began sitting on sitting in tables outside of my dorm and seminary with my with my clergy friends, where it'd be like one minute we're talking about. You know, um, Thomas Cranmer and theology and all this kind of, you know, ancient Christian stuff. And then we're immediately we're like then arguing about like, you know, whether or not um, the Silver Surfer is an overpowered character. That's that's our podcast <clears throat> in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so listening to them talk about stuff and, and my buddy um, Chris Robinson um, was ta- was he was like really into the current Green Lantern run. And so um, and the free comic book day issue was a tie in thing for um for the for the for for um the event that was happening at the time was thing called um it was the um it was blackest night the blackest night event that was getting ready to start in the green lantern run was basically like zombies green lantern zombies right. and they had just finished up this thing called a war of light where they had revealed all these different colored rings so it wasn't just green lantern rings it was yellows and reds and orange and blue and indigo and all this right. stuff and so um so i, I jumped in with that storyline and stands to me right now is like i have just such a deep love for that for that run um and that so that's a pretty long run too it was a pretty long run yeah pretty it was expensive yeah i mean it really began with jeff johns with green lantern rebirth um jeff johns is a, a comic book writer who has a really great talent uh, he's 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 a bit of a controversial figure in comics but um he's a really great talent of taking obscure characters and like mm-hmm. owning their silliness, but owning their silliness in a way that makes you take them seriously. Right. Like with Green Lantern, like when he brought Hal Jordan back from the dead, he, you know, for the, throughout the 90s, you know, the 90s also characterized by people being really embarrassed by superheroes. You yeah. know, everyone tried to come up with like a sort of like a grounded 
explanation for everything. Sound familiar. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, and so like one of the things that they were like during the nineties, they just did away with when Kyle Rayner became the only green lantern after how Jordan, um, became a villain right. was they did away with the fact that green lantern was, uh, had a weakness to the color yellow. It was just seen as such a silly thing by, at that point. But when Jeff Johns came back, it was like, no, that's, 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 that's definitive of the character. The character, he, that's his kryptonite is the color right. yellow. So, you know, let's, let's work with that. And it became this whole thing that, you know, it was rooted in fear because Green Lanterns have the ability to overcome fear. And so fear is manifest in the color yellow. And so his whole explanation, it became a very rich, you know, pretty rich little mythology, um, for for the for the DC universe and um, and he just did some really cool stuff with with that character with him in the Flash. He also did some good stuff with the Flash and um, resurrected these old Silver Age characters and made them exciting and relevant. And I I have pretty much his entire run of Green Lantern and and I love it. I love it. So the rise of geek culture is is, is pretty much to be blamed on uh, why you kind of got it back into comics. Yeah, no, totally. Movies, right? It really was. Yeah, yeah. Um. Oh, That's, the other comic I bought. Sorry, when I bought Kingdom Come, I also bought um, The Dark Knight Returns. Those were the two comics okay. I remember buying at that time. Sorry. Um, yeah. Nice. And uh, also, what's kind of interesting about sort of now in comic books, what's going on? Since you've kind of jumped back in, Chuck, and I sort of uh, I, I go in and out every now and then when I can afford to read something because <laughs> comics comics is expensive. Yeah. It's totally expensive. And well, and here's the other piece for me, because I've just recently got back into comics again. Like I took about a three year break almost or something like a right, two year, yeah. about a two year break. And um, and with this new DC rebirth um, run, I've, I've come back in. But my wife and I are, are really, you know, exploring what it means to be a little more minimalist in our lives and have fewer possessions. Yeah. And. I started really think about that, especially when my wife and I moved recently, because I had like seven boxes of comic books, and most wow. of them, most of them, I'm going to read like once, you know. And I just can't right. just throw them in the trash. That just seems wrong to me. Like I'm again, I'm, I'm a product that's, of the I'm a product of the '90s. I can't just throw a comic yeah. book away. I mean, that's 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 that uh, that's a comic book collector's trap, man. You gotta you gotta collect every single one of them. You gotta. So yeah. what I'm doing, the thing that I know for purists is probably a, a problem, but I read my comics on my iPad now. That's fine. I think that's fine. You know what? The art, the art is always super clear. Yeah. Um, I know I've, I've actually given uh, Marvel Unlimited uh, a test run. Oh, nice. And I really like it. I think it's cool. Like, I'm, to be honest, like, you know what's funny? Like, um, I gave it a, <clears throat> I, I, get, I tested it out, and there's like a whole... I mean, I can't tell you how many titles I have like daydreamed about reading. And when I finally had Marvel Unlimited, Marvel Unlimited is is an app for um, for Marvel comics, and you can just read like anything Marvel's ever written. Yeah, it's, it's a streaming it's a streaming service. It's basically Netflix for comics, right? For Marvel, you can read whatever you want. And like when I got that, I didn't know what to do with it. Like or Spotify. I was like, but... <laughs> yeah, when I got it and I, I opened it, I, I had no idea what to read first. I'm like, I don't know. There's, there's like, there's like, there's, there's history here that I just don't know where to start. I'm like a kid in a candy store, and the candy store is like three football fields long. Where do you start? Right. I only have so much time in the day. Right. <laughs> uh, so I mean, you know, even then, I'm still not satisfied with what I read because I feel like I'm not doing everything. Anyway, um, but I think that's cool. I think reading on the, on the iPad is is optimal. To be honest, I think collecting is just it, for. The, I think it should be for the sake of collecting. You know, it's, it's right. just kind of fun to find that 
have that piece of uh, history. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, we've talked before how JP is a very good gift giver, and JP, a couple years ago for Christmas, bought for me um, the Marvel Comics Godzilla number one comic yeah. book. And I have that on my shelf over here. I have it. You know, it's that, that that's nice. the kind of thing where it's tangible and you have it, you know? Yeah. Um, whereas, like, Silver Sable number five, yeah, <laughs> you're you're probably not hanging on to. Right, right. Um, yeah, and that's why, I mean, I kind of started to realize that, too. I actually tried to get into it a couple of years ago. Um, I wanted to read Cap- the, this, the run of Captain Marvel because, I, you know, the Captain Marvel movie is coming out pretty soon. Right. And I wanted to read it, and it was actually, like, it wasn't that good. And nope. then now I have, like, four issues of something I don't really like. And I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, but what I was trying to kind of get at... Um, what's going on today that's sort of interesting is there's definitely more of a push for representation in comics with uh, heroes or people of color. Uh, you got your queer heroes. You got uh, the whole spectrum. Even like, um, I think like the best example right now is like uh, Ms. Marvel. Right. Who is a, a Muslim character. Right. Who's written by uh, a Muslim writing staff. And I think artists too, right? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, and I, th- I think, I think like, one of the writers is like from Pakistan. Or something. <clears throat> um, so, I mean, have you kind of like read anything that's sort of, you know, that's kind of breaking ground? I, um, well, what, what started getting, it's, it's funny you mentioned this cause I was, again, I was, I was away, I was done with comics, um, not too long ago. And then the DC rebirth, um, stuff was starting to get, get some traction starting to come around, you know, it was being talked about, you know, like anticipation was building for it. And in the hype machine, one of the, a little comic caught my attention and it's called new Superman and new Superman is a kid named, um, Kong Kenan and he is Chinese. He's a Chinese Superman. Really? And he's written by a Chinese artist and, um, comic book writer and like reading his, an interview with him and how he came up with the character and really wanted to do something that was, you know, he was Superman, but he was authentically Chinese not sort of like white person white person perception of Chinese, um, you know, and kind of like embodying the ideals, you know, the, the sort of Chinese cultural ideals, um, the way that Superman has traditionally embodied American cultural ideals. And so um, that really piqued my interest, and that's when I was like, okay, when that comes out, I'll check that out. So I started reading that, and that's, it's a fun title. It's a fun little title. Um, um, but that's a that's a that's a that's a to me a, a pretty good little you oh, know cool. character break. The other thing is Green Lantern right now. Um, the, the one of the main books is called Green Lantern. The, the the Green Lantern book is called Green Lanterns, and okay. it features two Green Lanterns: Simon Baz, who is um, a Muslim, um, who was actually a character who was wrongfully imprisoned in Guantanamo Bay, and the oh, green, wow. and, and the Green Lantern ring springs him out of out of Gitmo. <laughs> And then there's uh, and then Jessica Cruz who is um, Latina, and so there's these two, you know, the, so the two headlining Green Lantern characters are oh, yeah. are not are not white people. I mean, Hal Jordan's still around and he's got his own book and doing his own thing, but like these two are the Green Lanterns who are participating in the Justice League. They're the ones who are, you know, they're the ones who are primarily seen doing things on Earth and whatnot. So you know, when you pick up the Justice League book. These are the Green Lanterns you're 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 dealing with. You're not dealing right. with you know, you know, white square jawed Hal Jordan. Yeah, exactly. And the same's kind of going on in Marvel too, with the big uh, upheaval. With uh, they got uh, Falcon is now Captain America. 
Right, and, um, and Thor is a woman. Um, oh, so yeah. I mean, well, I, of course, I, I, there's. I mean, he's not in the main universe, but of course, there was a lot of popularity around um, the um, Miles. Um, oh, he is in the main universe. Miles, now, Mor- Mor- Miles Morales, Spider Man. Yeah, he is in the main universe now. Okay, and he actually works for Peter Parker. It happened after the the latest Secret Wars. Okay. So, Chuck, are there any? Do you have any favorite writers or, or artists in comics? Yeah, actually, I think my favorite. Well, I think one of my favorite artists in comics that comes to mind right now um, is Sophie Campbell. She drew um, not too many, um, not too many issues of it, but every time she drew it, I really look forward to it. Um, of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic that was on IDW, or that oh, yeah? is on EW, IDW. Um, just her art style is something I really like. Yeah, I just I, I really like her work, Sophie Campbell. Jim Lee over in DC Comics is of course a legend. Um, he is a you oh, know, yeah. big '90s comic artist who's still kind of carried over. I really like his work. Um, Patrick Gleason um, is another artist who I think has really kind of, kind of come into his own in recent years. Um, mm-hmm. But those are the ones who um, those are the ones who pop into my head. And then, of course, I do love the I do love the writing of Gail Simone. Right. What is she working on now? Because I know she worked on. Is she still working on Batgirl? No, she's been off Batgirl for a couple of years. Um, she was doing stuff with um, Dynamite Comics because she was writing Red Sonia. That's right. I'm, I, I knew about that, and, and I don't. And I don't know what she's up to anymore because I, I, not being on Twitter, I haven't really been keeping up. But yeah, no, she's. And then of, of, of course, a famous one, a, a, a famous comic book artist, and one that I know you, it relates to something we've sort of been beating around the bush on, and that is Alex Ross, who is the oh, artist right. of of, um, of Kingdom Come, among other yes. things. Um, probably, uh, gosh. The art in Kingdom Come is probably some of the best art in comic book history, if you ask me. Yeah, he, for those who don't read comics, Alex Ross has made a name for himself because his artwork is um, fairly photorealistic watercolor work. Yeah, and it's it's incredible. It's amazing. Cool. Well, I, I mean, me personally, you know, I, I like I'm I'm the kind of I love to dive back in time. Like I like reading old stuff more than the new stuff. To be honest, I, I like trying to keep up with the new stuff, but. I'm really interested. Like, I love, like, Chris Claremont would probably always be my favorite writer. Okay. Who did that great X-Men run. Um, and, you know, I'm a big fan of, like, Jack Kirby and his creations and uh, Steve Ditko. And um, I, I think for me, definitively in comics, I think, I think Neil Adams and uh, Denny O'Neill is sort of definitively Batman for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're they're kind of like the first ones to make Batman kind of dark. But he wasn't like. It's kind of hard to describe that's the the darkness that Batman was in the seventies. Like it's not, it wasn't like gritty. It was like, I don't know. It was. It's kind it of was, hard to explain. It was, it was kind like gothic. Of, yeah, he was gothic and a little bit Norish. And yeah, it was um, with like filtered through a, like a bit of a counterculture hippie kind of thing because you know, their Bruce Wayne is pretty famous for having like quite the mane of chest hair. You know, yeah. um, and yeah, you know. Se- I think I think '70s Batman is like the Batman. Like I feel like everything should be modeled after that, and not this Frank Miller stuff. Even though I love Frank Miller stuff. Yeah, but like I would love to see a movie more closely related to well, what Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams are doing. Well, it's funny because like because like BVS, the Batman vs Superman. I feel like Ben Affleck's per- Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne is more of like a, De- a Neil Adams, Denny O'Neill, Bruce Wayne. But he's. So? Yeah, but his Batman is totally Frank Miller. Yeah. And that's – it's a little bit jarring because, you know, when he's Batman, he's 
not you know when he's Bruce Wayne he's actually kind of funny and right yeah, yeah. you know all that kind of stuff. Kind of but, he was more like James Bond. He's an adventurer. Too, yeah, he's more of an adventurer type. Yeah. Um, I also like Mark Wade, who also who wrote um, Kingdom Come. Oh yes. Um, and you know, love Alan Moore, and I, and I do as, as much as I make fun of him. I don't know if really I like. <laughs> I don't um, make fun of him. I make fun of like his influence, but I'm, you know. Alan, I'm Alan Moore. <laughs> yeah. I, wor- I worship a snake. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Uh, but I was I was getting to Frank Miller. I I, I like his stuff. Um, I don't know if I like what his stuff is like influencing. You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the thing for Frank Miller is especially the way he was doing stuff more in the nineties, like when he did um, the dark Knight strikes again or um, all-star Batman and Robin, which he did with Jim Lee, where the art is amazing, but the story is like really dark, but it's like, he went through this phase where he like really hated superheroes. Right. And he kind of wanted that to be reflected that these are awful people. Yeah. That's um, interesting. You know, and that, I mean, even Alan Moore is kind of like that with Watchmen. His, the whole point of Watchmen, the central thesis of Watchmen is that superheroes are a bad idea. Yeah. That's interesting. Do you have any favorite uh, non-superhero comic books that you like? Um, I really, um, I haven't I mean, really. We're going to talk about we're going to talk about blankets, but right. I mean, I I haven't really read too many non-superhero comic. Well, <clears throat> I mean, do you count? Do you count Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as non-superhero? I mean, I guess because <laughs> that's a fun <laughs> we can comic. Count it. Um, that's a fun comic. I also, you know, I, of course, have enjoyed the Godzilla run that IDW has done, which I okay. feel is non-Godzilla. But um, other than that, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm pretty much a dyed-in-the-wool superhero comics guy. Like, I just, I don't know, like, I, if that's what I'm going to invest my time in, that's what I'm going to invest my time in. But that being said, um, one of the greatest graphic novels ever produced is um, Craig Thompson's Blankets, which is yeah, not let's, superhero. Let's yeah, let's jump right into that since we both read this and it's sort of fresh in our minds. Um, so this comic, this oh, I mean, it's 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 an illustrated novel, a graphic novel, yeah, written by Craig Thompson. It's called Blankets, and it has an interesting history for, with you and me, Chuck, because the first time you and I both read it, we actually read it together at Barnes and Noble. I I had read it. And then I told you about it. We went to Barnes and Nobles, and then we, I read it again, and you also read it, and we read it together. Yeah, we sat there for two hours and just <laughs> yeah. read it. Yeah, and, that's right. Um, I forgot about that. I'd read it a couple times since then, but then I, I actually recently just read it yesterday in preparation for this episode. Chuck, let's talk about this. Yeah, because as I said to you yesterday, I feel like this is like quintessential for who you and I are, JP. This book. Yeah. I think you're right. I mean, of course, I think you're right. every time I see it, I think of you because of that moment, you know, you introducing it to me and us reading. But I think the story is something that you and I, it resonates with us because the story is about a kid who's raised in a pretty conservative evangelical upbringing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's pressured, you know, he, you know, he's trying to do the right thing. He wants to please God. He's, you know, struggling with being a teenager and all the stuff that comes with being a teenager while also... Um, guilt and, and, and fears and all this other really, cause there's this dark stuff that happens to him as a kid, but also all of bullying and stuff. Yeah. But then also, you know, trying to reconcile the fact that like God created a beautiful world and this beautiful girl that he's in love with. And how does, how does that all, how does that all come into play in one's, you know, how does one's maturity and faith parallel each other? And reading it again, there is so much where I'm like, I don't know how many people reading this know the feelings, but he captures things 
that I feel like only only kids who've grown up with fundamentalist evangelical upbringing really know, especially mm-hmm. like if you're if you grew up in that environment, but we're also like into punk rock. And and being <laughs> yeah. kind of like a misfit kid because that's the whole right. thing is he's a misfit kid and like even at like Christian camps and stuff he's picked on by right. the jock the more jockey Christians because that's sort of a stereotype and but I think that's one of the reasons why for me like I think it I th- I feel you and I both connect with it because of that oh yeah definitely especially you know um, just the idea of like uh, you know it was it takes place in the nineties it's autobiographical and. Even when you were just talking about how, like, you had to deal with bullies at school and then, like, church is supposed to be something where you kind of get away from that. But he was experiencing, like, the exact same thing at church, basically, Um, until, like, he actually – he started growing up, became a teenager, and he said that he uh, had opened his eyes more and saw – he sought out the other outsiders. Right. And that's how he met his girlfriend, Raina. And that was – that's actually, like, a significant story in the book is their relationship. Right. And and I feel like – I feel like their relationship is sort of – kind of and even though it's supposed to be autobiographical it's sort of metaphorical to his relationship with god right and also a big relationship that's important to the book is his relationship with his, with his younger brother right um and the theme of course about the book is something i just never really noticed is that the you know the, the title of the book is not incident is you know is not arbitrary um, right yes you know and the fact that him and his brother growing up they had to share a same bed and so, like the role, and 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 sleeping under the same blankets, and then mm-hmm. this girl Raina gives him a blanket, and then there's their relationship, and them, you know, spending mm-hmm. nights together secretly from her parents, and um, yeah. and the way that and so the role blankets play, and all of this is kind of cool. It's it's sort of like it sort of represents security, but also at the same time, um, you know, he there's there's this really significant moment at the end of the book where he where. Um, he has a philosophy teacher talking about Socrates in, in the cave. Right. And um, it's sort of juxtaposed against him breaking up with his girlfriend. And that's, and also kind of coming into his own. Like, I don't know if, I mean, if people aren't familiar with the idea of the cave. It's, you know, like, it's sort of this theoretical idea that, you know, what if someone was born in a cave and they're facing the wall and the only images that they see are like shadows of what's going on outside? And, you know, what would, it, what, what would that person, how would that person feel and think if you were to free that person and, and they saw, like, what was making the shadows that they thought were, like, gods and stuff? Right. Um, so that was really interesting to me. And it's, it's, it's really sad. <laughs> it's a really, like, heart-wrenching story. The whole thing is about coming out of a relationship, I think. I think you can really sum up the book as coming out of a relationship. Right. And in some ways, it's like coming out of a relation, like a, a, a certain kind of relationship with God. Right. Because that's what I love about the book is I, is I feel, I mean, again, it's been a very long time. I didn't get to finish it last night. So there's little themes and stuff that I just, you know, I'm, I'm seeing new now, but like the, but what I remember when I read it the first time, and one of the things that really impressed me with the book is the fact that they're willing to let the, 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 the fact that Craig is willing to let himself be gray in the sense right. that it's not that his religious belief is entirely terrible but it's also yeah. not like this super awesome thing that's like solved all of his problems. It's just like it's there. Exactly. And like I, I especially like the way he kind of paints his parents throughout the story. Right. Um, he definitely acknowledges like there is some fundamental stuff that they were attached to that really affected like him. And that was, you know, borderline abuse. But he also doesn't like he, – he wants to continue having a relationship with them. 
Right. I mean, the book. He, so it, they're not monsters. Right. And the book is dedicated yeah. to them, which I think is crazy. Like, it's the first page. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, there's a significant part at the end, which is that, you know, he's hanging out with his brother. He's grown up now. He's gone out to college and he visits his family whenever he can. And um, he's hanging out with his brother and they're hanging out in this field. And he tells him that, like, um, you know, I can't bring myself to tell my parents that I'm not a Christian anymore. But the truth is, like, I don't even know. He kind of says, like, I don't even know what that really means. Like, I, I still believe in God and the teachings of Jesus. But, like, there's all this other stuff that I just don't feel like is important. Yeah. And I feel like, especially when you and I first read that book, that was like, that's exactly how we felt at that moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, it was, it was prescient. It was a, it was a prescient, you know, book it for its time and just very fitting. I just, I remember reading it and just being like super impacted by it the first time. And that's yeah. the only, that's, that's, I only read it that first time. I never read, uh, this is, this right. is only the second time I've ever read it. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it, but it just sat with me all these years. I mean, <laughs> JP, you realize that we read it like close to 10 years ago, right? I uh, know. God. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, it, it, I also want to point out like the artwork in it is really, is really great. Yeah. Um, it's black and white. Yeah, it's yeah. black and white. It's, um, and there's lots of little subtleties to pay attention to. And, you know, like it's, it's like, it's sort of like, like, I don't know if, is, if it's a thing. I'm still kind of learning my comic book art, but it's like an ink style art. Yeah. Does that make sense? Is that? Yeah. And like, and the way that he uses different, cause like when you first look at it, it's like, oh, this is an indie, this is like an indie graphic novel. Like it has and that. It, it super is. It really is. <laughs> but then yeah. it has these random moments where you see like, like there's this great part where um, one of the, one of the three lines that I really like is how he likes to draw. Obviously, because right. he's it's autobiographical, and he drew this book, and you know, his, he's told by his teachers that like he won't draw in heaven, right? And he's like, yeah, and and it devastates him a little bit because he like really likes to draw and he wants to do it. He feels guilty for doing this thing that he loves because he's been told it's frivolous. But so there's a great bit there where he's um, he's like thinking like, and, and he, again, this is one of those things where I think like if you've not grown up in a particular kind of Christianity, it's a moment that just I don't think hits you the same way that it does if you have. And that's where he's starting to justify wanting to do what he wants to do. And he's like, but I, I could draw like Christian comics to like make kids, you know, come to Jesus or whatever. And like and they show like this hypothetical Christian comic he could draw. And it's like very traditional, like yeah. like Saturday morning cartoon. It's like a whole different style of art. Um, and that's like the stuff that I really like when he does that is you can see that like, oh no, he's actually very talented. This isn't just like an indie artist. This is like a guy who has lots of talent. He actually chose to draw this comic a particular way and he interjects little things. And of course he has these great comic, um, interludes where there are parables and stories of Jesus and things throughout it. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty Christian book really. Yeah. And I think, I think people would find it extremely relatable because I think the things that he deals with are, 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 I think everyone does. I think every Christian does. Every, every, I think he, he, he just asks questions that we all do. And there's even a part where he, it's a heartbreaking moment for me because I could totally relate it because I've totally done it before, which is he thinks that, you know, because his art is frivolous, he decides to burn it all. Right. He burns all of his artwork. And I did something similar when I was a kid. I, um, you know, some, some guy spoke at our chapel. Man, I've actually talked about it on the, on, on an episode and I actually went out and I, I broke all my movies on yeah. VHS tapes with a hammer. Like I, so it's, it's, uh, it's a great read. 
And I definitely recommend it for anybody who. Yeah, it's and if like especially if like you have listeners now who are like maybe college age who have kind of who are like on that cusp of like wrestling with this stuff. Um, it's very it's it it I mean it, it's heavy. It's a very heavy very book, heavy. and and it, there's a lot of sad stuff in it. But it's also with these kinds of things we're talking about right now. It's very I, I found it to be very cathartic. To like just know like oh yeah there's someone else who's walked this journey too, right? Because the whole thing with Craig and his whole deal is he feels alone. Like he feels like the questions that he's asking about his faith and about God are questions he can't go to church with because they've already got like a pre-programmed answer, right. um, and he can't talk about it with anyone else at school because he's going to bully him for for you know th- you know and his teachers think he's an idiot. I mean, it just you know and and I've been there. You know, we've, 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 we've talked about my obsession with Japanese things on this podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I developed a fascination with Zen Buddhism, and I had a little skinny book on Zen. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely did not let anyone know that I was into yeah. that, you know, um, because, you know, I would have been ridiculed and made, you know, and told that it was like, you know, some kind of evil thing that I was into. It's so like that idea of like having like thoughts and, and your curiosities and wanting to see other things, but knowing that you can't talk about it with too many people. Right. You know, I, the, the difference with Craig and me though, is like home was a safe place for me. My mother and I have a very close relationship and she was a lot more open about things. I mean, there were, you know, there were times when the church would sort of, you know, had definitely pressured her into, you know, certain expectations, you know, for me as a younger child. But, you know, by the time I was like in high school, that kind of stuff, it didn't matter anymore. There was, we both, my mom and I had, you know, we were both people who knew that our faith did not necessarily have to look like everyone else's around us. Right. Um, but we also knew that you didn't necessarily have to, you, know, you probably ought not advertise that <laughs> there are some yeah, things yeah. that you just keep private. But so hope, so the difference with Craig is like, my, you know, home was a safe place for me. And, um, but, but those feelings, man, of like, and like you're talking about there, you know, that feeling of like, you know, you destroyed your movies because someone told you that this wasn't a worthwhile pursuit. Right. Like what that does to a kid. Yeah. That's horrible. That's so bad. And, um, I think another thing kind of sticks out to me, I don't know how, how far you made it in Chuck, uh, but, uh, he talks about, um, he came to a realization that not everybody in a large group of people could believe the exact same thing. Oh yes, yes. He was he was attracted to the fact that Jesus was a personal savior, right? And right, yes. you know, not this person who created this this mass mentality. Let's try to find that because it's so good. All right, so I found that section. So the the for the the, the depiction here is he's at the uh, he's sort of at the praise the praise uh, band worship service thing at this um, ski camp that he had that he goes to in the winter for his church, and. He's like looking around at all these people who are clearly participating, but they're also like, you know, they had been in, in the bathrooms talking about how they were like the guys were talking about how they used this trip as a time to score chicks and stuff. And, um, and just really vulgar, misogynistic stuff. But then he says, so then right. um, Craig says, it was nearly impossible for me to accept that a group of people could adhere to the same belief to be one in heart and mind, much less to join together in a constructive goal. The personal savior concept of Christianity is what appealed to me. The good shepherd neglecting the herd to search for the lonely lost lamb, not this mass mentality. And I remember when I read this, JP, um, yeah. those many moons ago in, that, in, the, in the now 
the now lost Barnes and Noble that's now at LA Fitness <laughs> yeah. at City Place. Being like, I like wanted to stand up and cheer because that was how I, how I felt a lot of times at chapel in college. Right. And so I was like, someone else feels that way. No, I felt that way too. Yeah. It's really, even today, it still rings true. Yeah. So read, um, read, read Blankets. We've talked it to death. Um, we probably yeah. also mostly spoiled it for you, but who cares? It's still good either way. Read it. Go read <laughs> Blankets. It's good stuff. Oh, gosh. Wouldn't it be great if we could get uh, Greg Thompson? We should try to do that. That would be great. Oh, we should do a whole episode on Blankets, Chuck. We should get Matt to read it. We should get Matt to read it. And Patrick. Matt? And Yes. Yeah. We'll get the four of us and Craig, and we'll just, we'll just, we'll just talk about comics and Christianity. <laughs> that's, that's what we have both have read in preparation for this podcast. Um, I actually was, have been reading something as well, uh, not just uh, in preparation for this podcast, but for another podcast that I'm actually doing with my cousin. Ooh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> another podcast. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's kind of uh, a little bit of an experiment. Uh, we're going to see if it works. Uh, it's called... Um, this is actually more of my, my cousin's baby than mine. He's actually just sort of helped me, uh, asked me for uh, help for it. Yeah, this isn't, like, called, a, this isn't like, this isn't like a mod spinoff. This is... No, 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 yeah. no, no. Um, it's called uh, can, you, can, can You Film It? And the idea is uh, we're going to take um, graphic novels or like a run of comics, and we're each going to read them, and we're going to just decide if it would make a good movie. I love it. I love and, it. And uh, our first episode is going to be about uh, Kingdom Come, which is what we've talked about. Uh, we've talked about a lot on this podcast, especially I, in this episode. I also love it. <laughs> Kingdom Come is – that was another significant read for me when I was a kid. And actually, it might have been the last graphic novel I read before I stopped reading comics when I was a kid. Okay. Uh, which is kind of fitting for, because of the nature of Kingdom Come. It's sort of like – you know, if 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 comic books are a mythology, Kingdom Come is sort of like the the apocalyptic uh, story. So Kingdom Come, I mean, the, the story is basically it, it takes place in the future. The, all of the old guard superheroes, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, have uh, retired in some way, shape, or form, uh, mostly because this new breed of superheroes has sort of taken over. I just, real quick, I just realized because you're talking about it, this is a great book into this episode. Because yeah. it was written as a huge critique and castigation of the 90s comics. Yeah, and it, it, it's kind of weird that it was like the last one I read, right? Before right. I kind of quit comic books when I was a kid and I got into movies. Right. Um, and it's also fitting for – uh, me and my cousin were just talking about how fitting, it, how fitting of a movie it would be now yeah. these days. The whole idea behind it, it was, it was a big critique on the Dark Ages. And, you know, the old guard disappears in some way, some other, in some, in, in their own individual ways, they disappear into the, whatever. Who takes their place are these, like, really, uh, these other metahumans who are, like, super violent, and they're really kind of edgy. There's sort of a critique on the 90s superheroes that came right. out of time. They're done by people like Rob Liefeld. Well, and, and, and many of them are also the kids of, right. the, of the villains and, and, and um, of the villains and heroes that we all knew and grew up with. Right. And they're not really superheroes. They just kind of fight each other. Like, yeah, they're just completely just morally ambivalent. Yeah. And so what happens is during one of these skirmishes, um, a, a character called the parasite splits, uh, another superhero called captain Adam. And we all know what happens when you split an atom. Yep. It creates a, a nuclear explosion. And so basically, uh, there's like this nuclear explosion that happens in Kansas, which is, you know, where Superman is from. 
and that kind of causes him to come out of retirement. And so Superman comes out of retirement with Wonder Woman and Batman and Green Lantern and, and the Justice League, basically, to whip these guys into shape. And what actually ends up happening is they go to war with each other. Right. And um, the the A story to all this is actually an Episcopal an Episcopalian priest. Methodist. He's, He's a Methodist minister. Are you sure? Because I could have sworn I, I could have Methodist. Sworn He's Methodist. Really? Yep. Okay. I take it back. Norman McKay, a Methodist priest, is visited minister, by the sem- minister. Uh, a Methodist. I did not go to seminary. Apparently, no. the, there, uh, are, there are priests. You have priests in the Orthodox, Anglican, and Catholic churches. Um, okay. Pretty much everyone else is pastor or minister. So, okay, okay. Norman McKay, a Methodist minister, there is visited by Specter, the uh, uh, spirit of vengeance. Yes. Um, not really sure which Spectre is because he has like ton of incarnations. Hal Jordan was Spectre for a time. I just, do you know who it's supposed to be? It's, um, it's not Hal Jordan. Um, um, interestingly, um, Hal Jordan is not in that book. Cause the, my cousin thinks that he is the Green Lantern in that book. Nah, he is. He's Alan totally Scott. Alan Scott. Um, <laughs> I would love to hear you and my cousin argue over this. <laughs> no, it's in the, it's, if you read the back of the book, if you read the back, I don't know which version you have, but the one that I have, it has like all the characters. And okay. it tells you who they are. Um, and so Norman McKay is visited by, by Spectre, and he's sort of – Spectre kind of takes him into the future, and he's witnessing the whole thing going, kind of going down. And Spectre is using him because he needs, like, a human anchor, right? Yes. Uh, because Spectre is going to judge whatever huge evil is about to happen in this, in this story. And what I really like about it, Chuck – I'm, I'm afraid to spoil it, but I don't, I don't care. I like how it ends um, because it's sort of while the whole book is a critique on the dark age of comics, the '90s comics, Rob, Life, Rob Liefeld stuff. Um, I think it also kind of ends up being a critique on superheroes. Period. Because at the end of the comic, Superman becomes a farmer. Yep. And Batman becomes a doctor. And Wonder Woman becomes an ambassador of peace. They kind of stop becoming superheroes, and Superman even says, "Like we're gonna, we're not gonna impose our power uh, upon you anymore. We're going to live among you." Right, and and that's where the book is, and why Norman McKay is an important part of that because the book is, I mean, pretty pretty profoundly theological. Yeah, um, and that's because like there's that whole idea that the metahumans are sort of been depicted as gods. And this whole right. idea of like gods and man, and that's sort of like Batman, because Batman's a foil to Superman in it, and this idea that you know men are going to fight the, the the gods, and the character of um, Billy Batson, Captain Marvel, Shazam, plays that yeah. that important role because that's the thing that um, that um, Superman says is like you know we should have you know he was he was both, right, and um, and so he uses him as the example that you know this is why we need to step back, and that. I mean, he doesn't say, but it's a very biblical image of it's, it's time for, you know, like, like what John the Baptist says, you know, it's, in t- it's time for him to increase and me to decrease. There's that. Right. Yeah. That sense of we're just, yeah, we're turning it yeah, all, it, you know, we're, we're, we're backing off. Right. And, and the metahumans are depicted as gods and Superman even comes out saying like, you looked at us as gods. Right. We kind of did too, but we were both wrong. Right. Right. So, and I think, so that's, that's the. The big interesting thing for me about Kingdom Come that I have actually never really noticed before until like this this recent reread. Um, the artwork in, in it by Alex Ross, uh, stellar. Uh, yes, you'll never find a more beautiful 
piece of art in comics than Kingdom Come. Yeah, I'm actually almost disappointed that they have not made some like giant like art book format version of it. Oh, that would be great. You know, like coffee table size version of Kingdom Come. Yeah, Alex Ross does have a big coffee book table called Mythology. Have yes. you ever seen that? It would be great if, like, Kingdom Come came in that right. size. It would be incredible. I think using a pastor in Kingdom Come is is brilliant. Oh, yeah. And um, and then also using um, the Book of Revelation to contextualize the story is also brilliant. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And the way they use Revelation is so great because it, it – like, using superheroes to kind of illustrate the prophecies in Revelation is – yeah, I think it's genius, and like, like they talk about like the seven thunders, and like juxtaposing that with Captain Marvel, right? And like, I love That's the so cool. I love the scene. Uh, my favorite panel of it is, um, it's like, um, you know, there's that that quotes that verse from Revelation about, um, you know, the throne surrounded by a rainbow, yeah. and it's the Justice League satellite, and yeah, it's all the, yeah. the colorful superheroes sitting around this you know table, and um, <laughs> just so good. I read this for the first time when I was I was 13 years old when I read this thing. 12, 13, 20 years ago. <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, and I actually I didn't read it in a collective form. I actually I actually buy individual issues when it was coming out. Oh wow! Do you still have those? I don't think I do. Oh, I know. JP. I know. I know. At the time, I didn't really know it was a critique, right? On what was going on. But it, I will say that it did set up for me and establish for me what the DC superheroes are supposed to be. Yeah. And that's that's like the crux of, of Kingdom Come is what a superhero is supposed to represent and who they're supposed to be. Right. And um, there's a great moment where Superman kind of loses it and he has to be reminded of why he's special. And it's, it's not just reminding Superman, but it's like it's telling us all, you know, why Superman is special. It's not, has nothing to do with like his superpowers. Right. Well, and that's where the great thing is, is it's like one of those stories that it comes back around to the reality that it's, it, it is that it's, it's really about Superman. Right. You know, um, it's, it's a justice league story, but it's really about Superman mm-hmm. and, and, the, and, and you know, the, what he brings out in people, um, right. and what he represents. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and it, I, I won't get onto, I won't get onto the tangent and talk more about it, but it does in some ways remind me of um, another one of my favorite, um, favorite um, comics, which is um, Superman Red Sun, which is the story of him, the, the Elseworlds oh, right. where he's raised in, um, he's raised in communist Russia instead of Midwest America. Um, but it, I bring it up because it uses this, 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 ter- you know, my, my, my homiletics professor in seminary had this phrase called turn the crystal where you take things familiar and you kind of twist them from a different angle. And you, when you do that, you see them completely differently. Yeah. Um, and in just a kingdom come red sun uses this turn the crystal element in order to demonstrate the inherent goodness and nobility of the character of Superman. And so I feel like, I feel like kingdom come is of a, is, is of a piece with, um, with with that kind of story, uh, but yeah, Kingdom Come is great. It's also a great representation of, of the big three: oh. Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Sorry. Um, I really love how Batman is portrayed. <laughs> like he's just gone insane. He's like off his rocker, and he's got he's where he's where like a, like a brace on his shoulders and stuff. Well, and that's the other thing is is that it was written sort of with the idea that what had happened in the current comics was carried out into the future. So like right. Batman had been broken by Bane. So he's in the, right. the, the harness to kind of 
you know, because he's still recuperating from that. And Superman has the show in the flashbacks that he has a ponytail because he's all long-haired and, and all of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just a great comic. And, and uh, if you like comics and you especially like Superman and DC, DC's pantheon of characters, check it out. It's a great read. And also, um, if you like theology and the Book of Revelation and God and things yeah. like that, it's also good. It's great. Perfect. I mean, we, we've got two great comic books that I think Christians should read. Blankets and Kingdom Come. Yes. Who, uh, if you like comics. Yes. And, well, and to be fair, you know, one's going to get you in less trouble with your, with your church <laughs> folks. Um, yeah. and, and that's um, Kingdom Come will get you in less trouble than Blankets because um, Blankets is – we should probably note to folks that it is, it is, it is a kind of R-rated story. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. At moments. Uh, yeah, but. Yeah. Any uh, favorite comic book characters or superheroes? Uh, if you do, uh, drop us a line. Uh, comment or send us a tweet. Um, you want to hear. Uh, maybe you have some recommendations that uh, I should be reading because I, I, I'll, I'll, be try- I'll be honest. I want to read more comics, but I don't know where to start. Yes, and we'll, and, we'll, and we'll give top priority to anyone who talks about um, Shadowhawk. And um, you remember Shadowhawk? It was like one of those edgy 90s characters. Shadowhawk uh, and, yeah. um, um, of course, Archangel Comics, if you're into that. Yeah. <laughs> and also, when did you start reading comics? Were, were you brought up in the Dark Ages, or did you start reading in the Bronze Age? I want to know. Tell us. Um, Chuck, thank you so much. You're welcome, sir. Again. Thank you. And thank you to our audience for listening. And join us next week where we talk about uh, purified drinking water and uh, three by six envelopes and a Samsung fast charge. I'm just looking at things. <laughs> that if you like Kaiser my... Kose in your. <laughs> you mean Kaiser so- Yeah, Kaiser Kose. So, no, Kaiser Kose. That's, that's how we're doing this one. Kaiser Kose. <laughs> Yep. Thank you for joining us and join us next week. Have a wonderful week and good journey. Good journey.